Welcome to You've Got to Read This. We are recording this episode in the middle of a blustery snowstorm, and what better way to spend a cold, wintry afternoon than cuddled with a blanket, a hot cup of tea, and a good book or two. If you're in search of a new book, you've come to the right place. If today's books aren't what you're looking for, we encourage you to listen to our other episodes. Today, we'll be reviewing five books, two literary fiction, two biographies, and we'll finish it off with a comedic murder mystery. So grab a hot beverage, put up your feet, and let's get started. If you're looking for a meaningful and compassionate story, I would highly recommend the novel entitled What Strange Paradise by Omar el Published by Knopf in July of 2021, What Strange Paradise is a contemporary novel about two kids with almost nothing in common but a shared humanity, working together against a world torn apart, at odds, and in crisis. The story takes place on a small Greek island. In the opening scene, the police arrive at a beach in response to a call informing them of dead bodies and debris that have washed ashore. As the police are moving from body to body, a nine-year-old boy lying face down in the sand suddenly opens his eyes and sits up. He is the only survivor of a boat that capsized. His name is Amir, and he becomes the protagonist of the story. Not sure where he is, Amir becomes scared of the men running towards him, yelling in a language that is foreign to his ears. Frightened, he takes off running and for the rest of the book tries desperately to evade capture. Each of the following chapters are titled Before and After, The before chapters follow Amir's story leading up to the boat capsizing. The after chapters follow Amir and the islanders after the shipwreck. In the after chapters, two characters become central to Amir's current state of homelessness and flight. The first of those characters is Vana, a well-intentioned teenage girl who tries to help Amir evade the authorities, and Colonel Kithros, a career military man tasked with finding and detaining Amir. Colonel Kithros is a tired man who has witnessed ugly cruelty throughout his military career, and now, close to his retirement, works on the same small Greek island he grew up on, but it's barely recognizable to him now with the near-daily refugee shipwrecks that dot the small island's beaches. What Strange Paradise is a petite novel at only 248 pages. It's a small, short book set on a small island, But like a bouillon cube dropped into water, it explodes into numerous prescient issues and themes. Migration, the plight of refugees, aging, morality, indifference, and grief related to an ever-changing world are at the heart of this book. It's a profoundly moving story, and its storyline is complex as are its characters. It is thought-provoking and eye-opening. I found this book moving too, and it really stayed with me a long time after I finished it. I do want to point out to listeners that this is an adult novel, though the protagonist is a child. I was so struck by Amir's innocence. Being a child, he has no understanding why people are on the boat. He has no understanding of the dangerous situation he's really in and is completely unaware of the complex world chessboard he stands on. And all of its implications. And I'm so in awe of authors like Omar El Akkad, who have the ability to condense so many issues and themes into a petite novel like this. The book is so powerful and it really, again, it really stayed with me. It did with me too. And there were so many different thoughts that it triggered. Yeah. 
it might make a really good discussion for a book group. Absolutely. Yeah. Even though it's a tiny book, it packs a punch. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. This book title again is What Strange Paradise. The author, Omar el was born in Cairo, Egypt, where he lived for the first two years of his life. His family then moved to Qatar until emigrating to Canada when Omar was 16. Omar el is the author of two novels. His other novel, American War, was published in 2017. The author's first name is spelled O-M-A-R. His last name is spelled E-L space A-K-K-A-D. Omar el currently lives in Portland, Oregon. So Renee, what's your next book for us today? I just finished a wonderful biography about Angela Merkel. The book is called The Chancellor, The Remarkable Odyssey of Angela Merkel by Kati Martin. Angela Merkel, of course, was the Chancellor of Germany from 2005 to 2021. She just finished her final term at the end of this past year. And this biography follows her from cradle to her final days in office. The author describes Angela Merkel as someone with incredible emotional intelligence and discipline who moves through the world with a complete absence of ego and hubris and who presents herself in a manner that exudes reassurance and stability. There were so many things I didn't know about Angela Merkel and I'm so glad I read this book. For one, I never knew she was raised in East Germany. For a quick history recap, after Germany lost World War II in 1945, the country was divided into four militarily occupied regions. One region was occupied by the US, one region by France, another Britain, and the fourth region was occupied by the Soviet Union. The US, French, and British zones became West Germany, which was eventually governed by democracy, and the region occupied by the Soviet Union became East Germany, which was ruled by Soviet communism. Angela Merkel, as an infant, moved with the family to the Soviet-controlled East Germany in 1954. She was seven years old when the wall went up, isolating East Germany from the rest of the country, and it wasn't until she was 35 years old when the Berlin Wall fell and Germany became a unified country. So Angela Merkel was 35 years old when she finally experienced democracy. After the Berlin Wall fell, Angela Merkel left her career working as a physicist and went into politics, excited to be a part of Germany's reunification and new government. To see her childhood and adult experiences living under the repressive, paranoid governing of the Soviet Union to then experiencing West German democracy, it was an exciting transition to read about. Another enlightening moment in the book took place in 2011. At this point, Angela Merkel had been Chancellor of Germany for six years. In 2011, an earthquake and tsunami caused a nuclear disaster at the nuclear power plant in Fukushima, Japan. This was the most damaging nuclear accident since Chernobyl. And Angela Merkel, uh, according to the book, was horrified when it happened. Keep in mind, she was a physicist. She likely had a deeper understanding as to the ramifications of a nuclear accident than perhaps the average person could appreciate. After intense reflection, Chancellor Merkel responded in a firm and decisive manner. 
In response to that accident, she made a goal of transitioning Germany away from nuclear energy and developed a plan to close down all 17 of Germany's nuclear reactors. She intended on preventing a similar disaster from ever happening in Germany. To date, 14 of Germany's reactors have been closed. The final three nuclear reactors will be shut down by the end of 2022. To turn away from nuclear energy so decisively was such an incredible and ambitious feat. I can't imagine anything like that ever happening in the United States. And finally, one moment that I found very moving was that she was the first German chancellor to speak at the Israeli Knesset since World War II and when Israel was established in 1948. For those who don't know, the Knesset is the equivalent of Israel's parliament. At the time she was to speak, numerous Knesset members were Holocaust survivors and were family members of Holocaust survivors, and several people actually walked out in protest because of her presence there. In her speech, she bore the shame of Germany's past. She acknowledged Germany's historic responsibility to remember the atrocities Germany committed. And she addressed Germany's responsibility and commitment to confront xenophobia and to prevent something similar from ever happening again. You know, Germany embraces what's called a culture of remembrance, to never forget. When you hide history, you can't learn from it. And I think the U.S. can learn from that model as a way of teaching our young people about the atrocities perpetrated in this country by our own forefathers. If you talk about it, you remember it so you can learn from it. I just, I found that a very helpful piece in in looking at uh, Germany's history. And I have to say, from beginning to end, this was a fantastic biography. I highly recommend it. I learned so much about Angela Merkel, and I have such a great respect for her. This book made me feel optimistic and encouraged. She has such an incredible moral compass and is um, a really inspiring woman. You know, I've always been fascinated watching Angela Merkel during press conferences Mm -hmm. with world leaders. She's always so composed Mm -hmm. and... She emits strong confidence and leadership. Mm -hmm. And as you said, um, kind of composure or very controlled in her emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think what I'm even more fascinated about beyond just her leadership during uh, her time as chancellor is her history as a child. And then as you said, she was 35 years old when she first experienced democracy. That's mind blowing. And then to see the woman and the leader she has become. I want to read the book really just for that. So so her history is is really just fascinating. It's really quite something. And as fascinating as Angela Merkel is, I found the author equally fascinating. I started Googling her and Holy cow, she is a Hungarian-American journalist. She was born in Soviet-controlled Hungary in 1949. Both of her parents survived the Holocaust. Her grandparents tragically were murdered in Auschwitz. Both of Kati Martin's parents were reporters. One of them worked for the Associated Press. Her parents were arrested and falsely charged with being U.S. CIA agents in, I believe, the 1950s. Um, Long story short, they were eventually released and the entire family escaped to the U.S. in the 1950s. It's just, I mean, her life is similar in that they were both raised under Soviet-occupied, you know, controlled uh, European countries. So it was was interesting that 
they both had similar lives. So, Mm. yeah. If you're listening and you're not someone who typically reads a lot of biographies, this is a really good one and one to put on your to-read list this year, most certainly. The book is entitled The Chancellor, The Remarkable Odyssey of Angela Merkel by Kati Martin. It was published in October of 2021 by Simon & Schuster. The author's first name is spelled K-A-T-I. Her last name is spelled M-A-R-T-O-N. author of The Radium Girls, Kate Moore has written yet another jaw-dropping historical drama, another true story, but a drama nonetheless. In her most recent nonfiction book entitled The Woman They Could Not Silence, Kate Moore unfolds the shocking and legally consequential story of a white woman named Elizabeth Packard. In 1860, as the United States was heading into civil war, Elizabeth Packard was committed to an Illinois insane asylum for women put there by her husband of 21 years, all because she dared speak her own opinions about religion and abolition. It's a harrowing history of the treatment of women in America and a biography of a woman who sought to improve the conditions of mental hospitals and to expand the rights of women. It's a shocking story in which Elizabeth is forcibly taken from her home, exiled from her six children, and admitted into an asylum without trial. All that was needed to commit her was her husband's testimony and a letter from at least one doctor certifying her insanity. Once admitted, she met women like herself, women who were either too outspoken or incorrectly diagnosed with insanity because their conditions were misunderstood. Behaviors that were commonly considered symptoms of insanity in the 19th century included essentially anything that would expand a woman's intellect, like novel reading or acting in an unladylike or unnatural manner. Women with conditions like epilepsy, or what is now known as postpartum depression, were also deemed insane. In the asylum, Elizabeth witnessed unspeakable cruelties at the hands of the doctors and staff. But throughout this nightmare, she remained vigilant and strategized to secure her own freedom. Her efforts, of course, were repeatedly blocked by the men who were intent on keeping her institutionalized. So walk me through why her husband had her committed. So Elizabeth's husband was a pastor, and in 1860, she was promoting an anti-slavery doctrine within their congregation. For reasons unknown to her, later revealed in the book, her husband demanded that she stop speaking against slavery. He began taking the church in a different direction, one that was pro-slavery. And of course, ignoring his wishes, Elizabeth became more influential and powerful in her efforts, more so than he was in his. So her words truly threatened not just his ego, but the cohesiveness of his church. She had no idea the lengths that he was willing to go to silence her. And let me tell you, there's a lot more to that backstory. That sounds so riveting. So why didn't the asylum release her if she was clearly sane? Well, it was absolutely nonsensical that they were able to keep her in the asylum, but there were no laws to prevent it. She posed a threat to many people, and so there was incentive to keep her there, not just to her husband, but also to the institution. Mm. She was so intelligent and eloquent that if they released her, the institution was worried that she could reveal things about her stay there and things that were going on, how it operated, and that could negatively impact the asylum. So... Honestly, the whole thing turned into a conspiracy to keep her quiet. Oh my. 
And keep in mind, in 1860s America, white women had no more rights than a minor. Married women could not keep their own wages, they could not own property, they could not open a bank account, they could not vote, and they could not argue in their own defense to prove mm. their own sanity. Oh my. So she was really trapped and trying to figure out how she could secure her freedom without any rights um, became quite the challenge. The, you know, this book, although it's a history book and a biography of Elizabeth Packard, it reads like a novel. And Sounds like it. people who have read Radium Girls, as you did, yeah, yeah, um, will appreciate the style that Kate Moore uh, puts into this, this history book, but again, reads in a very dramatic and even cinematic way. And you even said while you were reading it that the end of every chapter felt like a cliffhanger. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, and there were several moments where I'd be like, what? Oh my God, no way. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe it's my own naivety. I shouldn't have been so shocked at <laughs> some of the things that they were able to do to keep her contained. But um, and, and what a know. scary and frightening tool that, I mean, imagine all her circle of friends saw her get committed. It's mm-hmm. like, how horrifying for a woman to be like, oh my God, my husband could do that if I don't quote behave. Like, that's very powerful. Absolutely. And she befriended several women Mm -hmm. in the asylum that were in similar situations as she was in. So sadly, it it wasn't unusual. If you were just quote unquote problematic, just, well, she's insane. Wow. Sounds like a a really good book. I'll put it it on my to, to be red pile. Yeah, I definitely recommend it. You know, I want listeners of the podcast and readers of this book to approach it with the understanding that this isn't just history, it's relevant to our present. Mm. Examples of women and girls being silenced and controlled can be seen really in a variety of ways even today. Think about chants of lock her up, hurled at Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi. They're reminiscent of this older time when confining smart, assertive women Mm. to a penitentiary really happened. And then even look at the Me Too movement that emerged from years of silencing sexual assault survivors. And then even the most recent thing that's happened with celebrity Britney Spears Mm. and her long-fought battle against her father's conservatorship is a reminder of the control asserted over girls, even in the 21st century. Mm, Very good point. The book, again, is entitled The Woman They Could Not Silence, One Woman, Her Incredible Fight for Freedom, and the Men Who Tried to Make Her Disappear by Kate Moore. It was published by Source Books in June of 2021. Kate Moore is a white British author of several books and whose best-selling historical nonfiction, The Radium Girls, was adapted to film in 2017. Our next book is entitled The Door by Magda Zabo. Magda Zabo was a white Hungarian author who was born in 1917 and died in 2007 at the age of 90. The author lived her entire life in Hungary. She lived through World War II and survived under German occupation. Following World War II, the people of Hungary then suffered under Soviet-imposed communism for 40 years. Much of Magda Zabo's life was lived during a great deal of instability in her country. Her novel, The Door, was originally published in Hungary in 1987 and was first translated into English in 1995. The edition that I read is an entirely new English translation by Len Ricks. The newly translated novel was published by the New York Review of Books in 2015. 
On a quick note, both the author and the protagonist in the story have the same name, Magda, but the novel isn't about the author, just to be clear. The novel The Door takes place in a village in Hungary and is about the relationship between two women, an employer and an employee. Magda, the narrator of the story, is the employer. She and her husband are writers, and Magda hires a housekeeper named Emerence to clean and cook for them. At the beginning of the story, Magda reflects back on her 20-year relationship with Emerence and makes the startling declaration, quote, I killed Emerence. The fact that I was trying to save her rather than destroy her changes nothing. The story then goes back 20 years into the past to the early 1960s when Magda first hires Emerence as her housekeeper. Much to Magda's relief, Emerence initially brings equilibrium and stability to the household, which frees Magda up to get back to her writing. Over time, Magda grows frustrated with Emerence because she never shares anything about herself. Emerence reveals nothing about her personal life, and her privacy is almost a fortress. Magda's curiosity eventually gets the better of her, and she begins asking around the town about Emerence. She finds out through some gossip that Emerence is so fiercely private that she never allows anyone, even friends or family, into her home. Magda then becomes a little obsessed with uncovering the mystery of Emerence's life and almost grows a little concerned. Who is this woman, this stranger, I've allowed into my home? Though Emerence is uneducated, she's a highly intelligent older woman who has a fierce work ethic and is incredibly reliable. But as her personality unfolds, Magda finds Emerence to be abrupt, certain, and stubborn. Emerence is also deeply vulnerable, explosively sensitive, and at times her behavior is shocking, even to the reader. Confused and befuddled by Emerence's behavior, Magda feels incapable of managing or understanding Emerence because Emerence is so secretive. The character development in this book is incredible. Emerence is one of the most uncomfortably complex characters I've ever come across in a novel, and the mystery behind who she is is such a compelling storyline. I was emotionally exhausted by the end of this book, but it was such a satisfying story and well worth the emotional havoc it caused me. I think I was emotionally exhausted after <laughs> you read this book. <laughs> I think you gasped several times while reading this book. And it was kind of like a, what? What? <laughs> I, yeah, there, there are certain things that she would do. And I couldn't believe she did it. And it reminded me a lot of that Herman Melville short story, Bartleby the Scrivener, where this man has an employee who really does inappropriate things and his first impulse is to fire him, but it becomes a moral dilemma because he knows there's something really wrong with this person that they're behaving in that manner and it felt similar to that. Um, and if, I have to say, if listeners are looking for a rich character-driven novel, this is the book to read. Um, and one thing I found touching on a side note was that the edition that I read, the introduction to that book was written by Ali Smith, a British author. And in that introduction, she wrote, quote, the proportion of books published in the English speaking world that are translations from all languages is currently about 3%. A result of this is that unless we read other languages, we miss out on superlative novels like The Door by Magda Zabo. This American edition comes nearly 30 years after its original publication, and very little by Zabo, one of Hungary's most eminent novelists, is available in English, end quote. 
I have been wanting to read this book for years and finally got around to reading it and holy cow did it sink its claws into me. And since that introduction, since this book came out again in 2015, more of Magda Zabel's books have now been translated into English and released. The book again is called The Door. The author's name is spelled M-A-G-D-A. Her last name is spelled S-Z-A-B-O and I highly recommend it. Fans of El Cosimano's comedic murder mystery book entitled Finley Donovan is Killing It will be excited about her sequel, Finley Donovan Knocks Him Dead, which is being released by Minotaur Books this week. The main character, Finley Donovan, is a novelist and recently divorced mother of two toddlers struggling to manage her career and parenthood. Chaos ensues when her real life starts resembling the fictional characters in her mystery novels. In Cosimano's first book in the series, Finley Donovan is Killing It, Finley is mistaken for a hit woman while pitching her new murder mystery novel to her agent over lunch in a cafe. A woman who overhears the conversation slips a note into Finley's diaper bag, offering to pay Finley a lot of money to kill the woman's husband. Not at all interested in committing murder, no matter how much she needs the money, Finley's attempts to distance herself from this persona inevitably finds herself accidentally at the center of a mafia hit job. It's hilarious and outlandish and so much fun. In the sequel, entitled Finley Donovan Knocks Him Dead, Finley's close brush with the mob is barely in her rearview mirror when she discovers an online chat group of aggrieved moms in which someone is offering 50 Gs to have Finley's ex-husband killed. Not wanting the father of her children oft, no matter how much he frustrates her, Finley is desperate to find the person behind this. But identifying her ex-husband's would-be killer is not Finley's only problem this week. As if this weren't enough to handle already, Finley finds out that there's more to her live-in nanny than she initially believed. Finley's awkwardly re-entering the dating world, while also trying to find a way to get rid of that dead body that's found its way in her trunk. If you're looking for a laugh-out-loud bit of mischief, then you've got to read the Finley Donovan series by El Cosimano. It is important to note that these books are sequential. They should be read in order. And on another note, I was glad to see that all of the characters made it into the second book. I really enjoy her books, and I really appreciated the inclusion of Finley's lesbian sister, who's a police officer. Mm-hmm. In one scene, Finley's mom is pressuring Finley to go out and date, and Finley says, why aren't you pressuring Georgia to get married? Her mother responds something like, well, your sister's a police officer with health insurance and a pension. You're just a writer. You don't even have a steady paycheck. <laughs> I just love the family dynamics in the book. It's really laugh out loud funny. That was a cute scene. You know, my favorite character is Vero, the live-in mm-hmm. nanny. She says and does the funniest things. And I know she's a young straight Latina, but her character reminds me of the comedian Wanda Sykes with oh, her dry yeah. wit. I can right? totally see that, yeah. <laughs> she's so sassy. I just love her character. You know, and I heard that this is being adapted to a TV series, and I'm very excited about it. Not sure when it's coming out or on what station, but that'll be fun to watch. That's fantastic. You know, if listeners, speaking of TV, if listeners enjoyed the Netflix show Dead to Me with Christina Applegate or the BBC TV show Killing Eve, then you've got to read Finley Donovan's Murder Mysteries. These books, again, are Finley Donovan is Killing It and Finley Donovan Knocks Him Dead by El Cosimano. 
El Cosimano is the author of eight novels, six of which are young adult novels. The Finley Donovan books are her first adult series. She lives in Virginia with her family, and her name is spelled E-L-L-E. Her last name is C-O-S-I-M-A-N-O. Thank you for listening to You've Got to Read This. All of the books we've discussed can be purchased on our bookshop page by clicking the link in notes. Make sure to check out as a guest when you make your purchase, and we will receive a portion of each sale to go towards the production of this podcast. Please like our Facebook page, You've Got to Read This, and we'd appreciate it if you'd give us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts.